All right, folks, I'm going to read some articles today about, <laughs> this is what I'm saying, man. I had heard this in one video I was watching about the history of India. And in that video, they had mentioned that there was a period of time in India's history where India was ruled by Ethiopian kings. I was like, what? What? Because, okay, it's everything I've been looking at, motherfuckers. <laughs> Every fucking thing I've been looking at. It is all, all the dots, maybe not all, but there are a lot of dots <laughs> that are starting to connect, okay? Now, 88 constellations, star constellations of planet Earth, 88 books in the Ethiopian Bible. In the Bible, the Catholic Bible has 71 books. The King James Version Bible has 66. The Protestant Bible has 66. Okay. Ethiopian Bible had 88. Catholic had like 71. And the Protestants have 66. Now, if these stories are talking about star constellations... Ethiopia is below the equator. Catholic Church, Rome, is above the equator. Protestants, Europe, is above Italy with 66 stories. Star constellations. Anyways, it's coming full circle, bro. It is coming full circle. Yuji Krishnamurti, he said, The... Blue gods of India were actually black. Blue is basically the black skin under a full moon night. It looks it gives off that bluish silverish color. The black gods of India, Kali. My fucking goddess Kali. <laughs> Volcano. Black. Where do where did these it is gonna fucking blow your mind. Okay, let me read this first fucking article from Arc Republic. African kings who ruled India. Commerce between East Africa. Let me okay, now let me show you this. Semitic definition. Okay, from fucking Merriam-Webster. Of relating to or, const or constituting a subfamily of the Afro-Asiatic language family. Afro-Asiatic. Semitic. You fucking anti-Semite bitch! This is what Semitic means. All you fucking Zionist Nazis. This is what Semitic means, Afro-Asiatic. A subfamily of the Afro-Asiatic language family. It's not DNA, it's not motherfucking, it's none of that shit. It's got nothing to do with fucking DNA, it's about language. Semitic comes from language, you fucking anti-Semitic Zionist bitch. Afro-Asiatic language family that includes Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, and Amharic. Amharic is the Ethiopian language. Where does Semitic come from, motherfucker? Okay, I'll, sh I'll fucking tell you. What was it? Uh, Noah, 500 years old. Verse. Genesis 5.32 after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Semitic comes from Shem, Noah's son, when he was 500 years old. If we're still going by, going by these fucking mythological fairy tale books, you anti-Semitic bitch. Semitic. 
subfamily of the Afroasiatic language family of relating to or characteristic of the Semites, any or all of the Semitic languages. How is the original Celtic language more Semitic? Huh? You fucking racist bastards, man. Stole everything. Fucking stole everything and then flipped it. Right? Okay, well, check this out. Commerce between East Africa and India goes back more than 2,000 years between India and Ethiopia. The Bible, the books of the Bible that are not included in the fucking useless King James Version Bible, mentions India and Ethiopia all the time. Just look it up. Don't believe a word I say. You fucking do your own research. The trade starts a long history documenting the relationship between what is called today South Asia and East Africa. All the old pictures of Asians, they look Afro-Asiatic with, with dark skin. Semitic. Go look up the map I fucking shared of Noah's descendants. Huh? The world as peopled by the descendants of Noah and look up where Shem goes all the way to. Shem goes Middle East, uh, India, China, Mongolia, Southeast Asia, Korea, Japan. This is all Semitic. All Semitic. Okay. What many have recently admitted, there are quite a few Indians of African descent still living in the populous country and have risen into high ranks. This is a quote from Marco Polo after visiting the Pandyan Kingdom in 1288. This is a quote from Marco Polo, okay? Quote, The darkest man is here the most highly esteemed and considered better than the others who are not so dark. Did you, did you hear that correctly or let me repeat myself? <clears throat> the darkest man is here the most highly esteemed and considered better than the others who are not so dark. Let me add that in very truth, these people portray and depict their gods and their idols black and their devils white as snow. <laughs> did you hear that? This is Marco Polo. <clears throat> Marco Polo. We all remember that game, right? We all remember that game in the swimming pool, right? His quote, let me add that in very truth, these people portray and depict their gods and their idols black and their devils white as, as snow. For they say that God and all the saints are black and the devils are all white. That is why they portray them as I have described. This is Marco Polo. All of fucking history has been flipped. More than a thousand years before the foundations of Greece and Rome, proud and industrious black men and women, known as the Dravidians, erected a powerful civilization in the Indus Valley. The word Allah comes from the Tamil word for banyan tree, Allah Maram. The word Allah comes from the Tamil word for the banyan tree, Allah Maram, which is, which is, uh, the banyan tree is part, well, more like the fig tree is part of the banyan tree family. Okay? In the Bible, in Genesis, um, it was a fig tree that Adam and Eve used to make clothes for themselves. They're the leaves of a fig tree, not a fucking apple tree. So if it was a fig tree, then they had, then they ate most probably a fig, not a fucking apple. Dr. Clyde erected from those origins African kings in India drove the region's commerce culture and belief systems systems dr. Clyde winters author of afrocentrism myth or science writes 
Ethiopians have had very intimate relations with Indians. In fact, in antiquity, the Ethiopians ruled much of India. Yeah, this is why in the Bible and the books, which are not included in the useless English version, whenever they mentioned India, they mentioned Ethiopia and India together. Geographically, India came out of Africa, not Antarctica. India came out of Africa, geographically. These Ethiopians were called the Naga. Look at that. Look at that. Let me fucking show you another thing. Let me show you a fucking another, another thing. Okay. In the Bible, in Genesis, serpent, the word serpent in Hebrew is Nahash. <laughs> If Hebrew is a Semitic language, okay? <laughs> if Hebrew is a Semitic language, then Amharic, Ethiopian, is also in there. Amharic, Arabic, Aramaic, Hebrew. If the word serpent in Hebrew is Nahash, Nahash and Naga. Naga <laughs> and Nahash. What, what does it actually mean? It means the shining one. The word serpent is also translated as the shining one. Yeah, under the moonlight. <laughs> Everything these British bastards, you fucking useless British bastards. I love the way um, Dr. Wilkerson portrayed England. He said, little England. <laughs> little England. Little England. Look where you are now, cuck Charles III. Everything you bastards stole. Every fucking thing you bastards stole. Zion is Africa. Israel is a cuck block between Africa and Asia. Afro-Asiatic. Semitic. Zion is Africa. Ham. Then you have Shem. Right in the middle where they meet those two continents is Israel, the cock block. These useless fucking faggot Zionists who are killing children in the name of Jews. Semitic definition. Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, Amharic. Afro-Asiatic language family. Semitic is about language. It has nothing to do with DNA, you useless bastards. Killing children, you fucking useless bastards. It was the Naga who created Sanskrit. Oh my goodness, look at that. No wonder. When I looked at old Ethiopian handwriting alphabets, and then you go look at the Pali language of India, which is older than Sanskrit. There you go. There you fucking go. It was the Naga who created Sanskrit. Ham. Ham came out of Africa into India. Shem. Out of Shem, out of India theory, went to Europe. Japheth. The Holocaust, they killed not just Jews who are Semitic. Well, now it all makes sense, right? Now it all makes sense. They killed the Semitic Jews, right? Well, where do the Jews, where does Sem come from? Where does Shem come from? Huh? Go look at the world map. Where does Shem come from? Even the Romani who are from India. The Romani they killed. Right. It all makes sense now. It's all coming together. You cannot fucking hide the truth forever, bitch. You fucking useless British Zionist bastard 
cucks. Useless cucks. All cucks will get fucked in the end. That is a universal law. You shall see with your own eyes, you useless cuck bastards. Israel will fucking wither away. Watch with your own fucking eyes. A reading of ancient Dravidian literature, which dates back to 500 BC, gives us considerable information on the Naga. In Indian tradition, the Naga won central India from the Vilavar, bowmen, and Minavar, fishermen. He goes on to say, Even the legends of India revere the black race that laid the foundation of their civilization, and the holiest books of India also affirm that enlightenment came from Ethiopia. Look at that. This is why I say Shiva is basically Little Wayne. Little Wayne is Shiva. Bitch! In fact, the first god of India is a dreadlocked black na- black man called Shiva. Look at that bitch. In fact, I guarantee you the word the N-word, Nigus, and Naga, and well, the N-word. Guess what Nigus means? Nigus means what does it mean? It means a ruler or the supreme ruler of Ethiopia. And I'll have fucking Google pronounce it. Here, listen. Negus. 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 Kanye West. Kanye West. Fucking watch the throne. Niggas in Paris, right? Supreme ruler of Ethiopia in Paris. Bitch. I love that word too. Bitch. (laughs) Okay. Little is known about Shazada Koja Barbak, the Ethiopian who conquered the Bengal kingdom and established the Habshi, Habshi dynasty in 1487. But we know that he was a Sidi. The Sidi, also known as Sidi, Sidhi, Shidi, Sawahili, or Haz, Habshi, are an ethnic group inhabiting India and Pakistan. Members are descended from the Bantu peoples of the East African region. Look, even in China, the journey to the West, who's the main character? Who's the main character? Huh? Now look, I keep telling you. If you take the words power away, it cannot hurt you. It cannot hurt you. Right? This is why I keep using the word because I am a monkey too. We are all monkeys. Okay? Monkey mind. We are all fucking monkeys. Okay? Some monkeys lost their color. Rampage went all albino. Rampage went went all albino. Because of what? Geography. Because of fucking geography. And we are still using this fucking word image in Italy as a racist, oppressive tool against black people against the black soccer players why because they're better because they're better that's why they can't if you can't beat them right you 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 do all kinds of other shit to shit on them why because that's what cucks do man (laughs) that's what cucks do it's okay you what what (laughs) jesus christ man it's okay bro what go look up all these cuck videos Go look at these cuck videos. See who is fucking the white man's wives. Then go go look up who who is fucking the white man's wives now, huh? I'm just saying if you guys are gonna keep playing this stupid game, I'm I am I have had enough of this shit, man. I I'm gonna fucking let it all out today, man. I have had enough of this shit. You fucking useless cucks. You fucking useless cucks.
You cannot hide the truth, bitch. You cannot fucking hide the truth. We also know that he was assassinated by one of his own shortly after coming to power. The man who took his place was Malik Andil Khan Sultan. Upon assuming the throne, Malik Andil Khan changed his name to Saifud, Saifud Din Abul Muzaffar Firuz Shah and actually proved to be a wise king. According to coins found bearing his name, he reigned from 1487 to 1490. He secured peace and comfort for his subjects, was matchless in his generosity, and bestowed on the poor the treasures and largesse of past sovereigns who had hoarded the same with considerable exertions and pains. A story from the Bibliotheca India illustrates his empathy for the poor. The members of government did not like this generosity towards the poor and used to say to one another, This Abyssinian does not appreciate the value of the money which has fallen into his hands without toil and labor. We ought to set about discovering a means by which he might be taught the value of money and to withhold, and to withhold his hand from useless extravagance and lavishes, lavishness. This is why they mentally and psychologically try to fuck black people over in all these western countries. On the news, they always they always show some criminal, some crime always being committed by a black man. You keep all the black men in prison and that's how you control their population. Right? You keep the fathers away in prison, and then you brainwash their kids with bullshit, right? So that they cannot, as as a culture, as, as a people group, learn about their history, their culture, their traditions. So that's how you keep them down. It's okay, though. It's not, it's, you guys had your fucking turn. You fucking useless albino bastards. You had your turn. You you brainwashed the world with your lies. You tried to keep the whole world down with your money. It's not going to work anymore because the truth always comes out. The truth shall set you free from what all the bullshit that you've been fucking brainwashed with. For all these hundreds of years. You fucking cucks. Then they collected that treasure on the floor. That the king might behold it with his own eyes. And appreciating its value. Might attach value to it. When the king saw the treasure he inquired. Why is this treasure left in this place? The members of the government said. This is the same treasure that you allotted to the poor. The king said, how can this amount suffice? Add another lakh to it. Today, you can still visit a mosque, a tower, and a reservoir in the city of Gar erected by him. Okay, I mean, there's all I can I can continue, but you guys can say, well, this is, what website is this from? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I'll, t- I'll give you another website, the Indian Express. <laughs> okay, how about that? The Indian Express by an Indian writer. He could be like, no, that was you know that was written by a black black man or whatever. Who was it written by? Mm, let me see. Who was this one written by? It doesn't say. By A R editors. Okay, well, this one is written by Adrija Roy Choudhury. African rulers of India, that part of our history we choose to forget. The elite status of the African slaves in India ensured that a number of them had access to political authority and secrets which they could make use of to become rulers in their own right, reigning over parts of India. Oh, look at that. You have to subscribe to... (laughs) 
You have to subscribe to read this one. When you're... When your family has been ruling for hundreds of years, people still call you by the title Nawab, says Nawab Reza Khan, 10th Nawab of Sachin, as he traces his family's regal history. Reza Khan currently works as a lawyer and lives in the city of Sachin in Gujarat. He says his ancestors came from Abyssinia, present-day Ethiopia in East Africa, as part of the forces of Babur. I see. Eventually, they conquered the fort at Janjira and later occupied Sachin and ruled over their own kingdoms. The Nawab, the Nawab of Sachin is a personified remnant of a glorious African past in India. Africans have for centuries been a part of Indian society. Look at that. I never knew any of this shit. I never knew any of this shit. Nobody ever taught me any of this stuff until I looked up History of India myself and then heard that guy mention that. That's That was the first time I ever... This is why... Fucking man, this... While the slave trade from Africa to America and Europe is well documented, the eastward movement of African slaves to India has been left unexplored. Okay, that's all that's available on that one... This is another one, TRT World. Malik Ambar, the Ethiopian slave who became a kingmaker in India. As part of a series, TRT World explores fascinating stories of African figures whose contribution to humanity has been largely neglected. There were three African popes also. Yeah. Look it up. Sometime in the 16th century, a man named Malik Ambar was captured by slave traders in Ethiopia alongside thousands of others and sold to the merchants in the Middle East. A couple of decades later, Ambar emerged in India as a towering military figure. He gave a tough fight to the Mughals, challenging, challenging their invincibility until he died at 86 years of age. Born with the name of Chapu, in the Harar province of eastern Ethiopia in 1548, Ambar became the victim of slave trade as a child. He was bought and sold several times, changing between many masters and hands and different routes through the African continent until he landed in Baghdad via Yemen. Yeah, I mean, go look up the white slave trade. Venice was a slave market. Go look up white slave trade. Saudi Arabia, before they were more mostly dark-skinned, not what they look like now. That happened because of the white slave trade. Yuji Krishnamurti uh, um, uh, mentions this too. I mean, not just Yuji Krishnamurti. Just go look up the white slave trade. I mean, it's you're just not taught that. Only, only the only history they'll teach you over here is no. It was only the Africans who were slaves. Well, well, he was brought, okay, many times, blah, blah, blah. He was lucky to escape castration, a common practice that was applied to slaves, as the merchant who bought him turned out to be a kind man. Kazi Hussein, his master, was a devout Muslim. He converted Ambar to Islam. This kind of reminds me of the story of uh, Joseph, doesn't it? Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. At 22, Ambar lost Hussein's protection and slavery pushed him to India, where he served Genghis Khan, who was the regent minister of the Sultan of Nizam Shahi in Ahmednagar. Ambar's utmost loyalty toward his new master helped him earn military skills from Khan. Over the years, Khan also taught him battle strategies, diplomacy, and other critical leadership traits. When Khan died, Ambar gained his freedom by the decision of Deccan court and rapidly became a famed mercenary with an increasing number of soldiers follow, following his command. Deccan, I, I came across that word recently. What does that mean, Deccan meaning? Um, I know it's talking about the Deccan Plateau, 
of India, but I had heard it somewhere else, and that was also formed by volcanoes. Okay, anyways. The Mughal Empire dominated the subcontinent, but Ahmednagar, which is now the Madhya Pradesh and Maharashtra states of modern India, resisted their authority. Ambar soon became the face of a resistance movement against the Mughals in the southern states, preventing the empire from entering into what is into what was called the Deccan region. His defiance and battle victories against the mighty Mughals made him famous in the subcontinent and he was given the title of Malik, which means king in Arabic. Interesting. Malik means king in Arabic. In, in Hindi, Malik means like the owner, doesn't it? Malik, meaning in Hindi. Malik. Well, it also means a king ruler. Interesting. Okay. Where was I? His... By 1600, he became a full-fledged military general who defeated the armies of two Mughal emperors, Akbar the Great and his son Jahangir. Ambar led a compact fighting unit of 1,500 men from diverse ethnic backgrounds, Africans, Arabs, and the Deccanese, who for a quarter of a century were hired by local kings to stop the Mughals from penetrating into the south and southwestern parts of India. Following the defeat of Akbar's forces in 1601, Ambar chose his son-in-law, who was just five years old, as his successor. With a juvenile on the throne, Ambar became the de facto ruler of Ahmadnagar. He declared the areas he controlled as sovereign and named Kadki as its capital. This is where you can see the fucking... This is what I'm saying. Just follow the the history of hair. You can see, you can see it right there. It goes from Africa ham to the afro. By the time it goes into India, it becomes like the, the the wavy, right? Thick wavy. The goes through the Middle East to India, thick wavy. And then by the time, and then go up um, through Central Asia, right? The Stans into Europe, it becomes Lauren Moray's, um Genetic mutation, blonde hair, blue eyes, or even redhead, right? Straight, wavy, curly, it's all there. It's all there. It's only the African genes that is not, um, what's the fucking word? Oh my god. What's the, what's, so meaning. It is not, it doesn't work backwards. It only, meaning it only goes forward. So I forget what the word was. Anyways, fucking words. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he declared the areas he controlled as sovereign and named Katki as its capital. He introduced a sophisticated irrigation system built several palaces, and even married his children into the families of Indian nobility with the aim of integrating Africans into the South Asian elite. Semitic, Afro-Asiatic. During his reign, he faced a lack of water in Kadki and decided to use the underground reserves which were located in the mountains further north. Although he faced a lot of skepticism about his water policy, he undertook the project of building aqueducts to bring uninterrupted water supply to the capital for the entire year. Yeah, in history class, who do they teach you where the where the um, the founders of good ar- good architecture and aqueducts and all this shit? They they always say it's the Romans, right? Well, (laughs) well, (laughs) 
Okay, aqueducts to bring uninterrupted water supply to the capital for the entire year. He built water channels still recognized as Nehers within 15 months, a major feat at the time for which he was praised for a long time. To build strong defenses against the Mughals, he formed many alliances with foreign powers. His diplomacy paid off as the British, the Portuguese, and the Dutch empires supplied him artilleries. He died in 1626 at the age of 86 and was succeeded by Fateh Khan, his son whose reign did not last long as he was imprisoned in 1629, but Ambar's memory is still deeply etched in Aurangabad. Okay, this is from PeopleTree.World, India's African Kings, author Anshika Jain. Razia Sultan was one of India's most valiant queens, and history tells the tale of her suspected liaison with her confidant and ally, Jamaluddin Yakut. What a name! Jamaluddin Yakut. Yakut. Yeah. What? This is what I'm saying. The Mongolians. And, yeah, Yakut is a member of an indigenous people living in scattered settlements in northern Siberia. The Turkic language of the Yakut. Via Russian from Yakut. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm... Okay. Jamaluddin Yakut. With great relish. Whether or not they were lovers, we will never know. But the outrage that this alleged dalliance sparked in the 13th century Mamluk dynasty is well recorded. Hmm. This is... This, okay. So when I say if you look at the Mongolian script, then you look at Arabic, it just looks like... Mongolian goes from top to bottom... Arabic goes from either left to right or, or right to left. One, one goes vertical, one goes horizontal. And they both look very similar, the alphabets. Genghis Khan. His last name, or well, the title is Khan. Which became Stan. Afghanistan, Afghanistan. Pakistan. Pakistan, all the Stans. It was even Hindustan, right? Because, I mean, Genghis Khan had fucking interesting. All the history we've been taught in history class is just fucking such a waste of time. Whether or not they were love, okay. Much of the resentment, resentment against Yakut arose from the fact that he was a slave turned nobleman of African origin and not from the Turkish clique, clique that dominated the nobility in the Delhi-based Sultanate. Interesting. So this goes way back. Delhi goes way back. Conferred the title of Amir al-Umara, Amir of Amirs, Jamaluddin Yakut was therefore the first African to occupy a prominent position in India. Yakut is only one of many Africans who have left their mark on Indian history. Hailing from East or North Africa, they came to India as slaves, merchants, soldiers, and pirates. Many of these Africans proved themselves while in the service of local, of local rulers and enjoyed considerable political patronage. They also enjoyed a great degree of social mobility, some of them going on to become military commanders aristocrats, statesmen, and even founders and even founders their own kingdoms. And even founded their own kingdoms. If none of this sounds familiar, blame it on history, which has a way of eclipsing the contributions of some while exalting the exploits of others. Yeah. I never learned any of this shit in history class. So boring. So boring. Why is Western history so boring? It is so fucking boring. All they do, 
these cucks, these fucking faggots just suck their own dick. That's all they love doing. Praising and sucking their own dick is so boring. Fucking so boring. They 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 didn't teach any of this other shit. No, we're the best because we're albinos. End of history. So boring, man. Fucking Joffrey, man. I didn't know you were this fucking insecure, this fucking boring. If none of this sounds familiar, blame it on history, which has a way of eclipsing the contributions of some while exalting the exploits of others. Go suck your own dick, bitch. Fucking boring ass bitch. But here's something that might ring a bell. Malik Ambar, the nemesis of the Mughals, and Janjiri, the mighty island fortress that was the capital of an African city-state on the coast of Maharashtra. Due to the proximity of Africa to India and the thriving trade between port cities on either side of the Arabian Sea, Africans have often played an important role in Indian history. Called cities in the Deccan and Hubshis in the north, they rose to positions of great strength. There are multiple versions of how the Africans in India reached here, but what we do know is that they arrived in waves over a period of time. The earliest reference to Africans in India is from the 7th century when they were brought here as slaves by the Arabs. Later, when the Europeans arrived in the Indian Ocean, they reached India as a part of the slave trade. The last major migration took place in the 19th century when the Nizam of Hyderabad hired soldiers from Africa as bodyguards. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the bodyguards of uh, Mayweather? <laughs> While around the world and in India, Africans were mainly bought as slaves and used by their owners in menial jobs. In India, they were also employed in the, in the security and military apparatus. They were recognized for their bravery and military prowess and were a significant significant part of the armies in the different sultanates of the Mughals and even the Nizams till the 20th century. Till the 20th century. I didn't fucking learn any of this stuff. However, the 15th and 16th centuries were the most significant periods for the Africans in India as this was when they held high positions or ruled in, in the Sultanates of Bengal, Gujarat, and the Deccan. Bengal, Gujarat, and the Deccan. The Sultanate of Bengal was, was established in the 14th century and a large number of African origin soldiers origin soldiers were recruited in the army here. Many rose to perform administrative duties and some became magistrates, were involved in law enforcement and even collected tolls and taxes. There was one Abyssinian who, was, who went even further. <clears throat> the commander of the palace guards of, of, the, of the then ruler of the then ruler Jalaluddin Fateh Shah he seized the throne in a palace coup. The Sultanate of Bengal thus got an African king, Barbuk Shazada, who established the Habshi dynasty in 1487. However, this was a short-lived endeavor and the rule of the dynasty he founded ended in 1493. Despite, despite their brief reign, the Habshis of Bengal were brave and just kings. They were also patrons of art and architecture and built many secular and religious stru structures like the Feroz Minar in Gore, Malda in West Bengal. Look at this shit, man. I never knew any of this shit, man. African soldiers also played an important role in the army of the Sultans of Gujarat. One of Ahmedabad city's most famous icons, the city... Said Ni Masjid, which boasts the famous city Said Ni Jali, was commissioned by a city soldier, Sidi Sheikh Said Al Habshi Sultani, in the 16th century. 
The valor and loyalty of the cities is a subject of legend. According to one story, goddess Lakshmi was wandering the walled city of Ahmedabad one night and was trying to leave through one of its gates when she was stopped by a city soldier who recognized her and asked her to wait while he took the king's permission to let her leave at that hour. The city soldier rushed to the king and asked him to behead him. The city soldier rushed to the king and asked him to behead him so that goddess Lakshmi would stay and keep the city prosperous. According to the legend, Lakshmi is still waiting for the soldier to return and let her out, to which the prosperity of the city of Ahmedabad is attributed. Wow. Did you know? Did you know any of this shit? I had never heard any of this stuff. Arguably the most famous African in India is Malik Ambar. Born in the mid-16th century in Ethiopia, he was enslaved as a young man. After an arduous journey to the Middle East, to Baghdad, and then to India, he finally reached the Deccan and rose through the ranks to become Prime Minister in the Ahmadnagar Sultanate. Known as one of the greatest leaders of the Deccan, Malik Ambar was a master of guerrilla warfare and more than once subdued the armies of the Mughals in their quest to conquer the Deccan. Before he died, Malik Ambar got his daughters married into the Sultan's family, a mark of just how respected he was. Such was the military prowess of the Africans that the kingdom of Janjira was one holdout to both the Mughals and the Marathas. The island of Janjira, on the west coast of Maharashtra, had been captured by Malik Ambar, who built a fort on the island. The cities of Janjira continued to rule the kingdom till independence, and even went on to establish a minor kingdom in Sachin in Gujarat. The last major movement of Africans to India took place in the 19th century. It is, it is believed that the Nizam of Hyderabad saw some African soldiers in the army of another princely state and, impressed by them, asked for a troop for the state of Hyderabad as well. Thus, soldiers were hired in Africa for the Nizam's army and continued to serve the Nizam till the erstwhile prince state was integrated into the Republic of India. It is ironic that unlike the liberal and meritocratic West, the rigid and class-based structure of Indian society gave Africans the opportunity for social mobility. Today, the African community, community in India is well assimilated into the local population, and small communities of cities live in parts of Gujarat, Karnataka, Hyderabad, Maharashtra, and Goa. The descendants of these African rulers intermarried with other Indian communities and thus slowly lost their African identity. Today, there are around 50,000 people of African descent in India, most of them descendants of the Africans who came here centuries ago. They speak the local languages, wear traditional Indian clothes, and follow local dietary practices. The only way to recognize them is through their physical appearance. One of the few remnants remnants of their African past is their music and dance. Much about the history of Africans in India is still unknown and there is a need for further research on this lesser known aspect of Indian history. The truth shall come out. It always does. There's a whole bunch of other <clears throat> articles on this, but This is, I gotta look up Dr. Clyde Winters. I have to look up Dr. Clyde, Clyde Winters. Even the legends of India revere the black race that laid the foundation of their civilization. And the holiest books of India also affirm that enlightenment came from Ethiopia. In fact, the first god of India is a dreadlocked black man called Shiva. Zion is Mount Kenya, which is a volcano. Okay? Zion is Africa. Ham. Ham to Shem. Shem to Japheth. Okay? Um, 
the in Europe they still have the Black Madonna. Okay? Black Madonna. Okay, and there's a song in Spain. Kali. It's what's it called? Um, there's a song. Yeah. Saint Sarah, also known as Sarah La Cali, Sarah the Black, Romani, is the patron saint of the Romani people. Look at that. Look at that, you fucking cucks. You fucking cucks. Black Madonna, Black Virgin Mary, in Europe, that the Pope still goes and pays his respects to. See, this is what I'm saying. All these motherfuckers, they know. They know the actual history, but they're they're not going to teach this shit. They're not going to teach the actual history. They're not going to teach the actual history to the masses. Of course not. They can't do that. You can't tell the people the truth. (laughs) You can't tell the people the actual truth. Now can you? Can you? What was that song called? Saint Sarah. Okay, let me see. Um, Sarah La Cali. Now let me go on YouTube. Sarah La Cali. There's a song in Spain that they sing. Yeah. All included was it was Chavolo and Dorada Schmidt, Kali Sarah. Okay, let me see. Well, I'm just gonna link the song in the description because Spotify is a little bitch now. Any little music you add on there, they, they just block the whole thing. So, peace, monkeys, peace.